A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. Today's episode of The DNA Airwaves is brought to you by The DNA Project. Please visit thednaproject.ca for more details. It's also brought to you by The MPL, Toronto's modular film and audio studio. Please check out the-mpl.com to learn more. Our guest today is R&B pioneer Carlos Morgan. I've known Carlos Morgan, actually we've known Carlos Morgan for several years now. He is a wonderful human being and an incredibly talented artist. I unfortunately wasn't able to be there because I was sick, but my co-hosts Matt and Anthony had a... Yeah, so I think it was an incredible conversation and I hope you enjoy it. This is the DNA Airwaves. Hello, everybody. Today we have with us vocalist, producer, singer, songwriter, and award winner, Mr. Carlos Morgan. How are you doing today, Carlos? I'm all right, Anthony. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really, uh, really happy to be here. Our pleasure, man. Yeah. We are very happy to have you. Unfortunately, today we are missing Duriki, uh, but we have with us Matt. How are you doing, Matt? Hello. I'm great. How are you? Yeah. So today, Carlos, we just want to talk about you. We want to let the listeners know a little bit about your journey, how things have been more, more recently, and uh, future plans. So we'll get right into it. If you could, okay. just talk us through the beginning. Let us know exactly how you got started with music. Okay, so I was uh, born and raised here in Toronto um, to Jamaican parents. And I started singing in church at the age of seven. That's the first time I sang in church. And, uh, and then when I was 12, I joined a band called the Pape Avenue Brass Band that was based out of the, that was based out of the church that I attended, which was the Church of God of Prophecy. And it was located in uh, East York, or, you know, downtown, but East York side of uh, Toronto. And it was an an all-horn band. Um, I was the only singer in the band and the youngest member of the band, and there were 15 of us. Wow. So we played um, a lot in Eastern Canada, and we went to the States a few times and performed down there. And I was in the band from age 12 to 17, Wow, I was yeah. there for five years. But then when I was 16, I started singing in R&B bands in Toronto and um, uh, singing in bands, singing in school, not so much in church anymore as I was from the ages of 12 to uh, 17. Um, and then uh, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I was lead singing for a house band at the club Blue Note, and I was there for two years. And then in between that, I was traveling back and forth because I was co-lead singing with a band in Montreal uh, called Kinky Fox, and I was with them for a year. And then that was in 1990, and then in 91, I moved to New York, and I was lead singing for a band that the, I was the only Canadian in the band. The rest of the members of the band were from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we were called Popular Demand. Nice. And there were um, there were four there were four singers. I was one of four lead singers in the band. And then uh, I decided to come back to Canada in '92. And at the time, when I was lead singing in the Blue Zone band, that was part of the Blue Note, I had met two guys that were starting their own production company. 
their names are uh, Tony as a party and Darren Bowler and they were starting a production company called Taz Dab Productions and what uh, they would have myself and a few other singers in the city would we would demo uh, their songs for them because they were shopping songs to get placed on both American and Canadian artists nice. um, primarily in the R&B soul soul genre um, but focusing, I think, more in the U.S. Got it. Um, uh, I had the honor of, well, I don't know if I say honor, I'll say more of a privilege to write a song with them that got placed on an album from a band called the Mac Band. They had a big hit back in 87 um, called Roses Are Red, and they were signed to MCA Records. And then when I came on and signed or uh, wrote a song for them with Tazdab, um, they were an ind- they were on an independent label. The song is called "The Good Groove." So that was one of my first times I ever got my songs placed on a quote unquote major in major independent artist. And nice. um, but in between all in between that, I was recording songs, demoing a lot of their songs. They were also writing songs for me to shop songs around for me. Um, and then in '94 we decided that I will sign on to their production company. Um, and so, because what they were trying to do was get a label deal, and if they got a label deal, then I would automatically, quote-unquote, automatically get signed too. Um, and at that time, I didn't know what production deals were. I learned later on that production deals were not... Um, and there, I don't think there is there are there are around as much anymore. But production deals are not as uh, were not very good deals at the time. Could you tell us what they were like back then? Maybe even compared to now. Well, you know what? I can't even remember now because it's been so long. Um, I just I just well, if 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 uh, if I remember correctly, or I'll try to remember whatever I can remember, is that production deals if they got signed to a deal. If Tazdab got signed to a major label, or they got so then the major label would sign them, and then I would get, and then I would automatically get, I would automatically go with them. But any any monies that come from the major label to them, I would get a very small portion. Gotcha. So it wasn't in your benefit. So it wasn't in my benefit. Right. Right. It would have been better me getting signed to straight to a label deal but then being a brand new artist that could still be the same as being signed to a production deal when it comes to getting um when it would be coming to getting um royalties i probably wouldn't get as much but still so that's the deal that i signed initially Sorry, were you signed as a writer or what was... I was signed as an artist. As an artist, okay. Yeah, so so when I signed to Tazdab to the production deal, I was signed as an artist. Got you, okay. They didn't really, Tazdab didn't really give me a lot of opportunities. In retrospect, they didn't really believe in me as a writer. When I, okay. when I, when I, they said they believed in me more as a vocalist. So you were singing songs that others were writing. Well, basically what them. they were writing. What they were writing yeah, for so, you. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, but it took other people that they knew that heard my writing skills yeah. or saw my writing skills to say, you got to give Carlos a chance because he's a good writer. Got it. And right. is this something that you wanted and believed in all along? Well, initially when I first started, I didn't really consider myself a writer. Mm, I focused really mostly on singing and performing. Okay. Right? Um, When I did write, I enjoyed it. Okay. But my focus really wasn't on songwriting. I just just wanted to sing and dance. Got you. (laughs) I want to jump back just a little. So you were working with the Pape Band. Pape Avenue Brass Band, yeah. As a performer. As a lead singer, yeah. As a lead singer, yeah. Okay. And I I was the lead singer. That's all I did was just sing. So I just want to know a little bit about when in the journey you started writing or started, okay. um, yeah, started writing either for yourself or others, or how that came to be. Well, I started writing when I was sixteen. I think my very first song I wrote was when I was sixteen, um, and I wrote with two other people. Um, I wrote a song called um, "My Lady," which I ex- actually remember. Um, I can't remember. Okay, "My Lady" and a song that I wrote on my own called No Longer Will I Try to Make You Understand, which if I ever have a chance to record it, I'm going to record that song. I think we have to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. 
And I um, think you could do that here whenever you're ready. Okay, yeah, because what I'm, the, the vision I'm seeing for that song would be all live with strings and. So we were just talking about yeah, we're that, ready for that. We were just talking about doing a live off the floor recording in the MPL here. So oh, that's great, man. Maybe that could be that could be it. That would be great. Big okay. lack of content these days. So yeah. people would appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk after. Okay, okay. Sounds so, good. Yeah. So those are the two songs. So I started writing when I was 16. Okay. And then, um, and then I would write more sporadically than, you know, often. My, I, I, I would only write when I really got inspired. And okay. that wasn't very often. Okay. Right, right. Because, again, my focus was becoming the best singer and the best performer that I could be. Gotcha. Right? So I didn't really, the, 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 the itch for writing didn't really come in until I started working with Tazdab. And that okay. was even still a few years. Um, um, and so, and uh, so then when we started shopping their songs for me to, for themselves and for me to get a deal, right. no one was really, they'd jump on first and then when they'd find out or they'd see who, the producers were because right. Tony and Darren are two white guys performing okay. R&B and this is like late 80s starting late 80s through the 90s oh gotcha right? so that wasn't that wasn't the norm at that point that sure, wasn't the norm right? for right. that wasn't the norm to know there are two white guys producing R&B just gotcha. as good and sometimes even better than black producers really wow right? and then coming from Canada Ooh, okay right so that's what we had against them and then they hear a then they hear a singer that is sounding like an American, yeah, not American. Got you, right? So, for examples, we for example, we had issue. We, there was one story regarding Gerald Levert. Okay, that uh, we went to Ohio to meet with Gerald Levert and his company Travel Productions because Tony and Dan was shopping songs to Travel because they were they had put together a girl group that were trying to put to a, a, a T, like a TLC okay. SWV on Vogue type of girl group yeah, right okay. so Tony and Dan were sh- writing songs and shopping songs sending down to them and they were like we love your songs we love your songs we love your songs that's me yeah. when we go down there <laughs> and they see these two white guys and they are black and me they're yeah. like uh, immediately the story changed, the energy changed, and wow. the vibe changed. And that happened quite often. That's unfortunate. Wow. Yeah. So, and again, we were shopping labels, we were shopping the labels in Canada, and no labels in Canada would touch us because Canada is a racist country that does not sign black music unless it's a white man doing it. Wow. Right? And I can give you examples of that. Wow. So, so, so... When we went to L.A. in 1994 for the Black Radio Exclusive Conference, okay. and we were being managed by one of the Pointer Sisters and her husband. Oh, okay. Right. Wow. So we thought we're going to make something work. Yeah. But yeah. the same thing went down even there. Really? Same, yeah. Same issue. Di- the White guys the, doing okay. black music, and me there, and they're like, whoa. Did they whoa. ever say that out loud to you? They or never said it, it just but implied? It was implied. Wow. Right? And they wouldn't come out they wouldn't come out and say it and at the time I didn't have the courage to say it. Before now, oh I would be blazing hell. I'd be saying this is this is what it is. Right, yeah. I mean it was a different time and Right. It was was nineteen ninety four made since then. Exactly. So I mean I definitely see that part of your journey as uh, and the obstacles that were presented to you. Right. Right. I am interested though, and I mean we could get back to that a little bit, but I am interested in how you how you overcame that like what was your mindset to get past those objections and still you know continue with your career well well gratefully and thankfully i will always be thankful and grateful and appreciative to tony as a party and darren bowler okay because despite all the issues and the obstacles that we faced right and the obstacles and issues that we had between us. Yes. They still believed in me enough to say, okay, he, Carlos might drive us crazy. Yeah. Or I might say, well, you guys get on my nerves. Right. But we have something here that we can make happen. Okay. And so we decided after we went to LA and we came back and we weren't getting any bites, they decided... They're going to start their own label, and as okay. as far as I as far as I know, Tony and Tony as a party and Darren Bowler were the first two guys to start their own independent record label in Canada, doing black music. Wow. So that to me, and I've, this is the first time I'm actually acknowledging that. Wow. I'm actually actually saying it yeah, that wow. they 
started the first independent um, R&B label called D-Tone Records. Okay. And, they, and they signed me. And they had signed me and they had signed a hip-hop artist named Jay Money. Okay. And they were working with different artists. And I think they had signed an artist, a female artist named Novia McClymont. Okay. Okay. So we recorded, we wrote and recorded my first album, Feeling All Right, from 1994 till early, to early 1996. And that did really well, right? That album. Yeah, that album went on to win a Juno. Nice. Yeah. I went on to win a, win a Juno Award for that. And I released a single that went on to win a Much Music Video Award from that. Nice. And... I got, I was awarded from the Caribbean Cultural Committee for Songwriting and New Artist. Wow. And I won, I was the second artist, second Canadian, second black artist in Canada to win a SOCAN Award for Urban Music. Second? Second. Who, who was the first? Uh, yeah. I think either Deborah Cox or the Rascals were. So oh, okay. they won in 97. Okay. I won in 98. The following year. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Right. So, and I toured. I was one of the first R&B. I used to say I was the first. I think I was one of the first. One of the first R&B artists to tour Canada from East Coast to West Coast twice. Oh, wow. Doing R&B. Original. Wow. Original So music. these are your own shows? Or? My own shows. Wow. What was your audience like in those days? It was diverse. Okay. For example, Canada is known as the screwface capital of. I mean, sorry, Toronto is, <laughs> Toronto, known, as, yeah, is known as the screwface capital of Canada, if not the world. Right? Getting a little better. I it's hope, getting a little better. Yes, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it depends. We got to do better, Toronto. And totally better. But when I went out west, I thought, okay, I'm going to be out here touring, performing, and you know, I'm I'm going out there expecting the same reaction. Yeah. Same, you know, screwface. Yeah, you know. Who cares? You're from Canada, whatever. Yeah. Attitude. Night and day. Wow. In Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, um, Winnipeg, Calgary, wow. Victoria. It's like night and day. I was like, whoa, what? what? You weren't expecting that. Not at all. And <laughs> packed. Wow. Sold out. Wow. I have, yeah, I'm selling out shows out west. Coming back and then coming back to Toronto, East Coast, Montreal. Yeah. M Montreal, I did okay. I was touring. I was the opening act for um, Casey and Jojo. Oh, nice. After they left Jodeci and 112. Wow. And Drew Hill. Nice. They did Canadian tours here. I was the opening act. On your open, wow. Yeah. Those were good. Those were good. I could imagine. <laughs> those, those went well. And then so Toronto was okay. Okay. I okay. opened up for Roger and Zap. That was a great show oh, here wow. at the Harborfront Center. That was packed. Got nice. a lot of love there. Yeah. Because yeah. the thing is, oh, we got a he's opening for because they when they when they heard the music, they're like, this is good. But yeah. when they saw me opening up for bigger artists like Carlos, 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 Carlos. Yeah. Right? Um and then uh Montreal we did so, went did well in Montreal. But Halifax did really well in Halifax. Wow. Performing and touring. Um, and I went out, first when I went out, went out with a small band. Okay. And each time we went, we just added more members. Wow. Because we were able to get, Ottawa, we'd played in Ottawa too. So yeah, each time we went out, band got bigger and we were able to do more shows and I was able to wow. bring, you know, add background singers and yeah, two yeah. keyboard players. And, wow. Right? So, and that was for, that was a good two year run from 97 uh, to, to to 99. So that was like pre-Juno and then... No, this is post-Juno. It started, okay, okay. So I won the Juno in March, March 9th, 1997. Okay, so then it was right after that. So right okay, after, I, was, I started touring, right? Okay. Then I'd come back, got you. I'd go back out again. Yeah. I'd come back and go back out again. Wow. I'm doing little shows. I'm, do, I'm doing interviews on almost every major Canadian TV show at the time. Yeah. CBC, yeah. CTV. Would which, you say that winning the Juno played a part in that? Winning the Juno did play a part in that, yeah. Um, how big? I, I, I can't say how big, but I think it played a significant role. Um, and then I got a write-up in Billboard magazine, so that helped. Oh, wow. Um, I still have the article. Um, and almost, again, almost every major Canadian music magazine, I was getting write-ups in and reviews. Um, so, yeah, those from 97 to 99 were were good years wow. for my music. Yeah. Um, 
And then Universal, I should go back. So before, after we won the Juno, Universal said they want to sign a licensing deal with Detone Records for my album. So we oh, okay. signed a six-month six month, um, licensing deal. Okay. Oh. I wasn't happy with the deal, but I couldn't say anything about it because it was the artist. It was between Detone and Universal. Right. Got you. Um, but they did a lot. There were a lot of things that they didn't do that I felt should have happened. Got you. However, and sorry, is this how you felt at the time, or is this in retrospect? How I felt at the time as Got well. You. Okay, There's a lot of things, and there were times when I would have. There were a couple of times where I had um, a couple of, I'd say, arguments with the marketing director. Okay. Um, at the time, um, um, but uh, they helped a lot with getting my music out there. They shot my album to the UK, to Europe, okay, and Asia. Wow. And they got all five, they got France, Germany, France, Germany, Japan, England, and I think Switzerland were the five territories that were going to release my music in the Europe. Oh, wow. But because of D-Tone Records, yeah. the whole deal fell apart. Oh, wow. Right. Um, so that's where I lost. I lost big time on that, on that whole situation. Um, Universal Canada pulled the plug on the deal because of Detone's behavior and their attitude and things oh, that man. they were asking for that were completely unreasonable. Wow. Um, and so, so that still stings a lot when I think about it. Oh, it'd have to, yeah. Yeah, because, because things, my, my career could have gone in a, my career could have gone in a whole different trajectory different direction further if I had the support of Universal and D-Tone Records, Definitely. the guys who were running Tony and Darren, just laid back in the cut, waited a few a little while, and then once we, were in, once we were in a position to leverage, we could have go back and negotiate a deal, and I could have gone back and negotiate a deal with them, or get out of my deal with Tony and Darren and then get signed directly to Universal, which Universal was willing to do at the time. They were. They were. Wow. But until they merged with Polygram Records, and then the the A&R group, the A&R guy that was number one position for A&R at Universal at the time that signed my record, got right. bumped down to number two. Oh, right? So, so the new A&R guy comes in, right? tells me he doesn't know anything about R&B music, Never listened to it, didn't grow up listening to it. Could However, you backtrack and tell us a little bit about what an A and excuse me, what an A and R guy does. Okay, so to my understanding of what an A and R person does, what they call artist and repertoire, is uh, an A and R. What they basically do, which I find it hard that this particular guy, but anyway, um, what an A and R does is they will be they'll play a significant role in signing an act, and when they sign an artist. Right. They will then um, contact publishers saying, this is the artist, uh, this is their voice, this is their style, this is their sound, Got this you. is their genre of music, and then they'll uh, ask for songwriters or publishers to pitch songs. For the artist. For the artist. And gotcha. then the A&R person will say, okay, well, like this, don't like that, this fits. Then they'll sit with the artist. Okay. Right? And even if the artist hears some of the songs, like, well, I don't like that, or that doesn't, it doesn't resonate with them as an artist. Right. Because they're a brand new artist, they may not have much say. Oh, so the A&R is... So the A&R is saying... that's well, part of the record label problem, that's, at least the old model. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're so speaking that, for you. They're actually speaking for you. Right. Right? So, so a lot of... So depending on what happens with the first album, if the right. first album flies and does well, then the A&R may say, okay, well, if you write songs, then let me hear what you got, right? Got to but prove your worth. The artist got to prove their worth first. Okay. But so the, again, that's what my understanding of an, what an A&R person is, gotcha. or what, what their role is, which, yeah. And we didn't, well, Tony and Darren were the A&R for Feeling All Right. Yeah. And there were probably two songs on that album that I had issues with on my first album that they wrote. Okay. But again, I didn't have much say. Gotcha. I sang the song, but okay. I wasn't really particularly crazy about the song. Now, one of them has grown on me over the years from my first album. Um, but... The majority, but there were two songs again that they A and R that I was like, I don't want to sing these songs. 
Gotcha. But they were like, well, if you don't want to sing these songs, then <laughs> no album. Was there ever a time when they well, recommended something to you that you didn't like, and then you had to do it anyway, and it turned out that it was a good idea? I think one particular song, um, the first uh, song is called Let Me Love Again. Okay. And it's a good song, but it just it just didn't resonate with me. And, you know, I still... Uh, I like this song, but when I hear it, it's like something's missing, or it's just—I don't know. I don't know. It's just I, not there. I—I—I I, I, I don't know. Wow. I don't know. And there are songs I've written that I resonate more than others, right? But yeah. I still like them, True. right? And I'm like, I could—I could sing them. Um, and there's there's two songs on the album that they didn't write that another songwriter wrote called his name is Joey Miller. Okay. And he wrote he wrote um, Forever for You and When Two Become One. And I love those songs, right? Oh, yeah. But the songs that Tony and Dare note themselves, yeah, just was like, uh, I'm not, yeah. So, but I I, I sang them anyway. You sang them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you've learned a lot since then, of course. Um, let me ask you this, just looking back at that, that I guess that's that period of time, mm-hmm. um, what, looking back, what would you say that you, your biggest takeaways were, and maybe even to pass on some advice to someone who's up and coming now, any things that people should look out for, or maybe be more informed on as far as the process goes with um, representation in A&Rs and things like that? I always just, I basically just say, learn the business as much of the business and be as educated about the business as much and as best as you can. We're totally in a, we're totally in a different time with Definitely. how the music industry is, the music business is because of the internet technology. and everything, and our technology and everything's yeah. online and people listen and buy music totally different. True. And even me, I'm still learning this new form yeah. or this new way that the music business, the music industry is, I'm still learning and I feel like I'm way behind, right? I'm, I'm older and I don't think that's really relevant. My age is relevant. Not anymore. It used to be really relevant, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's not relevant. Was it more relevant in the 90s, you'd say? No, it was more relevant from, well, yeah, from I'd say late 90s up till about maybe 2000 nine or ten and then it it and, became more acceptable for older art, artists and just unexpected artists yeah yeah because especially yeah it, because because again everything is now online True. right so excuse me but in terms of learning how to market promote online yeah it's it, it's totally different and it's like it's constant and when you're an independent artist it's a constant machine. It's a constant, constant. And I've, I've wasted thousands of dollars um, promoting myself online, learning programs, yeah. learning ways what to do, what not to do. Right. I'm still like, okay, I'm going to invest this money and there's a good possibility that I'm going to have wasted money. It's a risk. But it's a risk, yeah, you know, yeah. but I'm, I'm willing to take that risk because I'm still so passionate about music. I'm in love with music. I'm passionate about music and I'm willing to take that risk to market and promote my music. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm still of the mindset, I know where this is a single driven market, but I'm still so bent on having a full record. I love the albums. I, I love mean, the albums too. Yeah. I, I just can't be like, okay, you promote it, you put a single out and it it's good for four to eight weeks. The attention span is... And that's it? Like you can't build, in my opinion, in my opinion, right. I don't feel an artist can really build, um, a, 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 a build and sustain a career on putting out a single and you market promote it for eight months and then you got to be on to the next. It's like, wait a second, there's a story here. And you yeah. know, are you going to read a story and really get into a song? Uh, maybe some people can. And again, with this generation, everything is like... Yeah, less yeah. than 30 seconds it's true you know you just do a, listen to a verse on to the next I'm like wait a second you're right like you're right. get into the song man it's almost like the formula has taken the place of the story now yeah just get it right 
yeah. figure out how to do it, make it sound like what people want to hear. Yeah. Do you remember when songs had openings? Songs used to be a lot, like think of Thriller, it's right? True. That's yeah. like a 30-second yeah, yeah. opening before you even get into the song. Yeah. And right. people would sort of lean into their seats, like, what's coming next? Yeah. And now it's like, the you, chorus. It's, it's, it's got to be there. It's got to yeah. be right there. I'm like, wait a second. What about the buildup? They say catch them within the first five seconds or yeah, something You can't like do yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a different world. It's a totally... And I'm, I can't... That's the part I can't get into. I I'm like, I've taken weeks to write a song. Yeah. And... There's this, like, my song, Have Little Faith. Love it, yeah. The, I wrote that with two other people, uh, Roseanne Baker, Thornley, and uh, North Easton. Okay. And they're a songwriting team called RBT&E. Okay. Nice. And, I'm new, and I knew North from the 90s because my co-manager used to manage him and his band. Okay. And they were a pop rock band at the time. Wow. So, so when I got together and I reached out to North, I said, this is the type of song I want to write. This is the direction I want to write in. Right. He said, well, I got a songwriting partner. Let's get together. We want to have a little faith. And it took, I think, six to eight months between writing it to recording it, producing and mixing it. Wow. Right? Now, it, so North demoed the song. And so when I went to sing it, I wanted to get into the song. And, and I said, this is what I want to write about. This is the story. And I wanted to, I wanted to when people hear the song... For it to be felt, right, right, and so it's going to take <laughs> some time to get to the chorus because there's a story in the first verse. Let it build. There's a build. Yeah, yeah. Now it's like I gotta. No, no. I just so that's the part of the music industry. I just don't. I don't. I don't. That's one of the. Yeah, that's one part of the music industry. I just. I can't. I can't get into. I can't vibe with. I. I don't connect to. No, I understand. You're coming from a different place. And yeah. The music's coming from a different place. Exactly. So. Are there any um, things about the music industry now that you do like? Any changes? Um. Well, you can go straight to the consumer and the listener, as opposed to going through the record label machine. True. I like that part. You can connect straight to fans. I like that part. Um, reaching new fans. Um, I like that part. Um, 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 being able to write and record the songs that I feel and that I want to write as opposed to a label telling me what I got to do and how to do it, sure. and, right? So yeah, those are the parts that I like. And I enjoy learning about the marketing and promotion, but it's, 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 you need a team for that and I'm just the only person on my team right now. Got you. So it's a lot of work for sure. A lot sure. of work, yeah. Now, a couple, of, a couple more questions I, I want to ask you. Okay. Um, having worked with you myself, mm -hmm. I know that you're more than a singer, songwriter, performer. Right. Um, I know recently you've been, more recently you've been playing the guitar. Right. Um, so you have taken up that aspect of being a musician as far as playing an instrument other than your voice. Right. Which is of course also an instrument. Right. But in working with you, I've noticed that you have a real command, not only for your music, but for the music. Right. More than the majority of vocalists that I've personally worked with, you are able to command the band um, talk them through what should be happening where in a song, whether mm -hmm. it's kick patterns, you know that. If it's a string line, you have that down packed. Mm -hmm. Tell me how that happened. Like, were you always like that, or is that something that you developed? I think I had to learn. I learned that just through playing with many musicians. Okay. But because I was only, I was so focused on being a singer. Right. And I always felt that. And I used to play drums as well. Okay. I used to play drums. Okay. Um, but again, my first instrument is my voice. Yes. So because I couldn't speak theory to, like you guys do, like you're talking about, okay, well, okay, this is a C major chord or a, or a B flat minor seven and all these are different chords. Yeah. It would just be like... <laughs> you could hear it, but I, you can't. I can't, right? So I, I So I listen to you guys lift the songs You're right. and if something like Michael he would say okay no it's this chord he'd name the chords and you guys would think okay right? right I didn't know none of that I would just stand and listen so what I thought I was going to do is I'm going to study these songs 
I may not be able to say the name of the chords and play the name of the chords, but I'm going to learn the arrangements and learn the notes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So if somebody's playing something, I'm like, no, 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 no. This is what I know it to be, and I'll sing the note back. Yeah. Right? Because you've been at some, when we have rehearsals, and I'll be like, oh, no, no. It's, it's, like Michael and I may challenge each other sometimes. Yeah. Um, and Michael's our music, or your musical director. Yeah, yeah. well, for player. all of us, too. Yeah. 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 So, so for me, I felt that I had to learn, um, learn arrangements to songs because if I wasn't able to speak theory right. to musicians, then I had to learn to be able to speak to the musicians to what I wanted a different way. Got you. Right? And that's why I listen to songs over and over again. I study them. I study them as much as I can. So as you're best just putting I can. in the work. I put in the work, man. I feel like there was a time, I don't know if it's true now or if it was truer before or if anything's changed, but have you ever felt like musicians, I don't want to say didn't respect you, but did you ever feel any... Um, they didn't respect me. They, okay, it's just straight. They didn't they don't respect know. you, no, and it no. was based on what we've kind of talked about there, as far as I think that was. A, I, I think that was a part of it. Okay, I think that was a part of it. If not all of it, that was that was a part of it. But I, I, I think for the for for for, um, I think the, I think the mindset was, oh, he's 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 just a good singer, you know, or he's gotcha. a good vocalist, or, but, you know, but, I think when I started to as I explained, learn arrangements to songs right. and having to be more assertive. Yes. I think there was a shift. Gotcha. And I think also I understood, I understood that, and this is coming from when I was touring, that again, musicians need to be paid. Gotcha. Right? Okay. So, because I came from a school where we rehearsed for hours and hours and hours and then we go home and no one's getting paid. This is like, oh, it was wow. a, right? Yeah. Gotcha. I, I came from that school in the, in the 80s. Gotcha. It was like that for a long time. We'd rehearse for hours and hours and hours and only get paid when we did the gig. We didn't get paid for rehearsal. We got paid. And even then, wasn't, I wasn't getting paid a lot. So it was a labor of love. Yeah, it was a yeah. labor of love, yeah. right? And again, that was a part of that was a part of the growing pains. I think musicians that have been coming up since mid-90s don't know that. And I think that's where a lot of musicians have been spoiled because they don't know what it's like to rehearse for rehearse and rehearse and to dig into music and just go and rehearse <coughs> excuse me, for hours and not get paid. Got you. There was a different... There mindset, was a different, I guess, different right? mindset. Do you, do you think that that used to be a good thing? Because I know if, as an engineer... Uh, there used to be this expectation that you have to uh, do a bunch of work for free as an intern. Um, is that on one hand the argument is that it builds character and it really sort of weeds people out? On the other hand, there's the issue of uh, fair work conditions and all that. Do you think one way is preferable to the other, or there should be some sort of blend? I think there should be some sort of blend. That's what I think. Like I what? think. I think if musicians. Grew up in grew up at a time where they would learn a song and rehearse and not get paid, right? Because I found that when musicians are getting paid, it's not about the music anymore, or there's a it's it's more or it's I won't say not anymore, but the majority of it is okay. Well. I'll just learn these songs, but really, I just want to get the money. Business as usual. Right. But it's not about, okay, but okay, so you want to get paid, but you don't want to do the work? So you know what then? Doesn't make sense. That's not the the way the world works. No. So when I came from, I'm telling you, when I was, when I started singing in R&B, when I was singing in a gospel band, we used to rehearse every Tuesday Mm -hmm. from 9, sorry, from 8 p.m. to 12 12 a.m. Wow. I was 12 years old. Oh, wow. And... I would travel from Jane and Finch on an hour and a half to Pape and Queen. Oh wow. To rehearse gospel music. Because one, I was singing, yeah. I was with other guys making music yeah. and looking forward to performing. I wasn't thinking about getting money, getting paid to rehearse. Yeah. So when the rehearsal the show came, it was like ready to go. Now it's time. Show and if time. I got paid, great. If I didn't, it was still great because one, I was singing. And I was getting loved by girls, so, <laughs> right? So that made it all. Icing on the cake. <laughs> exactly. And that was like that for years, wow. for years. Wow. I'd get, and then when I got older and I started learning more, I'm like, okay, still rehearsing for hours, but not getting paid, learning music. And we'd go out there and jam and we'd kill it. 
and then somewhere along the way, it's like, well, musicians got to start getting paid, and I, and I get that, respect that, but then do the work, man. That's fair. Do the work. That's fair. But the mindset is, no, no, I'm just going to play and do the work, or, or just get, I'm going to get paid. But then it's like, so I'm paying you, but you're not learning the songs, you're not learning, you're not respecting the music. That's, yeah. And so, yeah. So I think there should be a balance. Yeah, get paid, but then sometimes be like, do you know what it was like when people were just darting out and not getting anything at all? And, right. But yet they put their heart and soul into it and then you heard it and you felt it. And then when they start getting paid, it was like the the level just was raised. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like the passion is almost missing from part of the process now. Part of the process, yeah, like. yeah. But, I, you know, but that's my personal experience. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I could see that too. I mean, money definitely changes things mm -hmm. in my opinion if you're getting paid for something then you should be bringing more of yourself yeah you should be coming to excel and be better than you were yesterday even, yeah right? so how do we fix that mindset uh how do we fix that mindset i think the way mm, <laughs> how do we fix that mindset i i i think a part of it is is um discipline and respect Fair. That's my that's that's my opinion. So to be disciplined it, and to respect the music. Right. So you're right? gonna you're gonna demand that discipline as well from the people that you're working with. Yeah. And that respect for the music. Because this is how I am. I'll say, okay, this is it's this is the show. My name's on the marquee. Right. But it's not me. I'm just I'm not the only person that's on the stage. Right. Fair. So yeah. my thing is I'm gonna bring my game. Yeah. And so I'm expecting the people that's on stage with me to bring their game. Fair. And so if I'm paying musicians to rehearse and come to the show, you better bring your game. You heard that's it. How, that's how I am, man. I'm like, if, because if the situation's turned, I don't care if it's my name on the bill or I'm a background singer or I'm just a guest, I am coming. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't know anything else to be than to be me. Right. So if you're putting, bringing me on stage and you've seen this, Definitely. I've come on stage and I'm like, <laughs> it may be someone else's gig, yeah. but I'm like, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you sure you want to do this? Cause I'm coming. I'm, Cause it's my passion. It is, I yeah. love music. I love music. And it shows, it shows. So I don't care if it's, it's featuring Carlos Morgan's show or it's a DNA show, and, but I'm, I'm like, hey, yo. I'm here to work. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so I, I just think that's, I just, I would hope that would be it, it, what it, that there's that love and that passion with everybody else. Definitely. You know? yeah. um, and I, ex I understand that everybody's like that. Yeah. But you know, but do your best, and maybe that's their best. And uh, yeah, let's bring the love back to the music. Bring maybe the love that back. Is their best too. You yeah, know, maybe not everybody's as talented as Carlos Morgan. Uh, but you know what? There are people that are way more talented than I am. I but believe with that. the worst work ethic, maybe. Yeah, it's or the work or worse right? opportunities, or you know, luck it's, plays a role. Yep. Yeah. Well, speaking of Carlos Morgan, the musician, I hear that you you're going to play a song for us today. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, yeah, do a song. Yeah. Well, can you let us know a little bit more about that, and maybe let us let the listeners know if there's anything else you'd like to pass on to them, and then let's get you in the studio all set up and uh, hear your song. Okay. Well, uh, I'll perform. Um, I'll perform. Have a little faith. Perfect. Especially with what's been happening these it's last very time relevant few yeah. weeks um, with the pandemic, and then with the uh, the um the murders of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and yes. these issues that are going on with uh, racial justice, um, which, I've, which I've become, I've always been, but in the last few weeks, I've become extremely more, I've become more outspoken. Right. Um, and it's impacted me personally, um, with, especially with the murder of George Floyd. Um, it's, it's impacted me greatly. And Definitely. I've, I've uh, the past couple of weeks, I've been struggling really, really hard. Um, I've actually started writing a song, but I haven't finished it yet. So I was hoping to have it finished and I would have performed it, but it's not finished yet. I'm writing a song called I Have the Right. Okay. I'll come back and do it next time. Yeah, let's definitely bring okay. you back for that. Okay. So, but with Have a Little Faith, um, again, the song is about just uh, finding the courage and the faith to 
one, to love yourself and um, taking the time to love yourself and despite all the darkness to uh, have faith to get you through the other side and just asking if it's Yahweh or whatever uh, entity one believes in mm-hmm. um, to find that uh, to find that source to turn to uh, to help overcome this the trials tribulations and struggles that one is that one is going through and, if, even, and it, there's a scripture that says um, to have the faith of a mustard seed right mm-hmm. so even if it's the faith of a mustard seed if it's a, a little bit of faith to use that faith to help to overcome trials tribulations it's a powerful message so yeah that's that's end of songs on uh, is streaming on Spotify and you can watch the videos there's two music videos for the song on YouTube perfect yeah um it's great talking to you today, Carlos. Thank you, Thank you very too, much man. for joining us. It was great just hearing about your story and thank, thank you. you for sharing your experience with us. Thank uh, you. Before we go, and before you go uh, perform the song for us, could you just shout out your social media, let people know where to find you online? Yeah. So um, Facebook, it's uh, carlos.morgan.562. Okay. Twitter, at Carlos Morgan. Instagram is Carlos Morgan Music. Uh, SoundCloud is Carlos dash morgan and my website is carlosmorganmusic.com or you can find the link to my website on my instagram perfect yeah excellent well thank you very much for stopping thank you too man carlos morgan what's the song name again have a little faith thank you for coming and here's carlos morgan with have a little faith live at the mpl through the dna airwaves take it away okay yeah Have a little faith Listen In the hardest part of Living through this moment Is the wreckage left behind
It's gonna be alright If you have a little As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit dnaairwaves.com slash Captivate today to start your free trial.